but as a student, you can, you know, join a lot of like those different entities, you know, at a minimal cost to essentially see what's going to work for you. Do you ever have so many questions and no one to ask, so they're just wasting away on Google searches you'll forget about in an hour or so? We had that same problem, and that's why we created the rd to be podcast, a resource for dietetic and nutrition students looking for answers that their peers don't have. We are students Macy and Emily and registered dietitian Carl Barnes. We engage in conversations and learn from RDs. Join us weekly as we gain insight into the unique journeys of registered dietitians all over the country. Welcome to another week of the RD2B podcast. I'm your registered dietitian host, Carl Barnes. This is our podcast where each week we sit down with another awesome registered dietitian to kind of profile their career path, their advice to you as a nutrition student, and really just to highlight the diversity of opportunity in the profession. Um, there are so many different paths you can take. Uh, my personal life goal is to destroy this notion of there being a traditional path in dietetics. Um, so uh, this week we have a lot of students actually that are very interested in school nutrition, working with, with um, kids and, and just that kind of environment. Um, so we're sitting down with Christine Cliff uh, she works in school nutrition, lots of stuff under that uh, umbrella. So yes. without further ado, thank you so much for being here. I'll let you um, introduce yourself a little bit better. No, you did a great job. So thank you for having me. Um, as Carl so nicely mentioned, I am in school nutrition right now. So, um, I, my name is Christine Cliff. I work in uh, school district U46, which is the second largest school district here in Illinois um, outside of Chicago Public Schools. We have 55 total schools, 41 of which are elementary and the remainder being secondary. And we have a, a couple of PKs, uh, you know, locations uh, peppered in there as well. Um, it's been an interesting road. His last year, actually 18 months in school nutrition has definitely taken on a different spin thanks to COVID. Um, so it is, a, it's a great space to work in. Um, a lot, you know, a lot, I think a lot of people don't think about, you know, school nutrition when they're going into dietetics. Um, I know back in the day when I was going through my undergrad, it was clinical or it was just basic food service. There really wasn't a lot of emphasis on school nutrition. So um, I'm happy to you know, give more input on that and answer any questions um, people may have. Great. Thank you so much for coming out and talking to us. As always, I'm Emily. You're already to be from the University of Maryland. So what kind of volunteer experiences or undergraduate experiences did you have that you think have helped you set up? you know, for what you wanted to do. Okay, well, there was always um, the notion, even just starting from my my, ma my master's program, is volunteer, you know, get involved, network. Um, in Illinois, we have, and actually in all the states, they have uh, local affiliates of the academy. So I was a member um, from the get-go as a student from with the West Suburban um, Academy. Actually, it was West Suburban Dietetic Association at the time. Now it's been renamed to West Suburban Academy, Nutrition and Dietetics with that name change. Um, so starting from the get-go and just dipping my toe in and seeing where I can get involved. Um, actually, I started as a historian. And I was a very uh, green dietitian, and it was a matter of just taking pictures at meetings. So, um, I mean, that's just you. You just start somewhere. You know, be open to new opportunities and um, be able to network with uh, with the dietitians in your area. And you never know what doors are going to be open from that. Um, so I know there are 
the, the local affiliates is one way to uh, get involved um, as a student. So we do have a lot of a big student member base in Illinois. Um, and we actually started last year as a pathway to leadership in Illinois, trying to bring in the um, di dietetic students from the variety of different programs in the state and showing them different entities of how they can get involved um, and being able to shadow all the various positions within our state organization. So I'm um, hoping maybe other states can do that as well. How has that looked during the pandemic? Students being like shadowing and stuff like that? Shadow virtually, actually. It's uh, Zoom has been our, our saving grace with that, quite honestly. Um, I was the president of the Academy, our Illinois Academy when COVID hit. So that was interesting. Um, and so we had to quickly pivot and uh, we had at the time WebEx um, and now we're using the Zoom platform. So we have uh, looped our students in within our, our meetings for the various committees um, using that Zoom platform. What opportunities do you think it provides for students opposed to, you know, other avenues of just being, I guess, a, I don't say a regular member, but a regular member of the academy? Um, with the student um, pathway to leadership for our students in Illinois, um, they they actually are, they, they worked closely with each of like the big committees. So like there, we had uh, what we call CPI. So the committee for um, essentially is a planning committee for our state, um, state assembly. Um, we have our public policy committees. So they actually were a member. They, they had like a three month rotation on each of these main committees within the organization. And they actually worked hands on um, even with the media team. So we gave those students like, okay, here's, you would know, pick a month and you know come up with um, you know a handful of like Instagram posts, um, Facebook posts, tweets that we wanted to do this, um, and even um, we they do it did a media pitch. So it's a lot of hands-on activity, so they can get some kind of real-life experience working in leadership and alongside the leaders of the state. Awesome. That yeah. sounds great and yeah. like a great resource for students. Yeah. So I know that you have a, an, a bachelor's in elementary education and nutrition <laughs> and dietetics. So yes. what made you want to get both opposed to one or the other? Um, well, that's, that's fun. My parents loved the day when um, I said I didn't want to be a teacher. Yeah, I was in student teaching at the time. I was a senior. I was a couple, a few weeks from graduating. Um, I always, I, mean, I love educating. I always say I am an, an educator by um, profession and in trade and such. So I'm, in, you know, just use it in a different way. Um, I think at the time when you're just trying to find that and what, what may fit for you, what you think would fit and in college. And I thought, you know, being a teacher, a traditional teacher would be that way. Um, and just knowing myself and I'm like, I can't see myself being in a classroom uh, teaching English, um, even though I'm married to a teacher, oops, he's upstairs right now, <laughs> so I'm married to a teacher. Um, I, I, I didn't want to be a, a, a traditional classroom teacher. So I finished my degree. I still actually still have my um, certificate. Um, so if I ever do want to go into the classroom, um, I can, but I married that knowing that I still had like that passion for nutrition, always kind of in the background. A funny story, I actually did start in University of Georgia in nutrition, and then I went to education now and went back to nutrition. 
Um, so knowing that I still had the passion wanting to pursue nutrition and dietetics, I went back for that bachelor's of science. Um, it took me like 18 or so months to get that second degree. And then I transitioned, I got that um, MPH uh, master's, I got into the master's program at Benedictine. Um, but I, I marry the two. You know, I, I'm, I educate with you know, nutrition as that focus versus English and literature. So. Yeah. So what made you want to do an MPH opposed to like an, an MS? Um, it, was, it was actually one of the few programs at the time that the MPH program that it was a unique way to use my degree. It's another way to educate the, the public and the community. Um, I did know I no, I didn't want to go into like a traditional clinical setting. Um, so the MPH really kind of drew me in because it had a community nutrition focus. Um, at the time, Benedictine offered, that was the only M, um, master's program married with the, a dietetic internship. Um, but I, what, what kind of drew me in was that community nutrition focus, knowing I wanted, okay, I have that education degree, I want to use it. And it seemed like a more clear path um, for me at the time. And I'm so glad I did it. It's very, it's a unique degree to have in, um, in this profession. Did you look at any regular internships without masters or were you gung-ho on doing your masters with your internship? I did not want to do my masters at the time as I was like, I was tapped out. I've already gone through two degree programs, two bachelors, and I'm like, I was done with school. Um, I wish a matter of just what program could I get into? Um, as you probably are going to be finding out, trying to get matched was a challenge. Um, I actually applied to four programs with, during that initial round of matching. Um, it was not a happy day when I did not match that first round. Uh, and so I had to reapply for that second round of matching in the summertime. So I did, was matched to NIU where I got my bachelor's from and also Benedictine. Um, wanting a different experience. So I chose to go to, with the Benedictine route, um, not only for that, you know, a different experience, but also that MPH program. I was done, um, I would, knowing that I would be done with the, the master's, the research and the dietetic internship in 18 months um, versus the MS program at the time at NIU, you took a few classes, but you have to finish your degree on your own. You wouldn't be, you know, having, it, it'd be a lot more like on your own time and I don't, I probably wouldn't have gone back and finished the master's if I went that route. Definitely. So I know that Benedictine now offers an MPH MBA program. So had you, you know, gone to school at Benedictine when they had that option, do you think you would have gone with that? Or do you still think you would have gone with the MPH route? Um, probably would have done the MPH. Um, and they actually, quite honestly, they also have an MSNW um, rotation. If they had had that at the time, I probably would have done the MSNW versus the mm. MPH. Just, it's just more the nutrition and wellness, kind of that wellness aspect of community nutrition. Regardless, I still think you know getting that master's is it, it sets you apart from um, you know other people that are just have that undergrad um, degree at the time. Now we know we're going to be transitioning to where um, the master's is going to be um, mandatory at that entry level. I'm hoping our, our uh, compensation goes up a little bit at that entry level to compensate for that. Definitely. And then I know that you were an adjunct professor at Benedictine. So what made you do that? Was that a part of your master's? Was it just to get some teaching experience or what was that? Um, it was just get extra money. 
<laughs> that was like first and foremost. I mean, you'll discover that some of these salaries as being a especially in community nutrition are not super high. So I just wanted at the time I was doing, um, I was working at Illinois Nutrition Education and Training. Um, so it was, again, it's another, actually was working with schools, K-12, throughout the state providing nutrition education. I thought it was a nice, you know, added, um, I don't want to say added bonus, but a, a nice extra experience going into the collegiate level, being able to teach nutrition, actually it was nutrition education research um, was the main um, focus of when I was at Benedictine. I did graduate classes as well as um, the undergrad classes for a couple of years. So why didn't you want to continue doing that? If I wanted to continue at a collegiate level, I had to get a PhD. <laughs> and that's where if you want to get, you could do adjunct work with like your master's. Um, I do have a couple of uh, friends, uh, um, really close friends that did get their PhD because they have to be, you have to be tenured or you have to be a PhD level to you actually get a tenured at a university level. And that's not the way I wanted to go. I really like being within the community um, and, you know, having more hands-on than just talking about it. I think there, I mean, you have to have, uh, you know, what you, you feel more passionate about doing. Definitely. So I guess to transition a little bit, what do you do as a nutrition affairs director at um, Dairy, Terry, Diary, oh, the Dairy, Council? Dairy Management oh. in court? When I was with National Dairy Council, um, DMI, I guess the, the parent company, Dairy Management Inc., um, my main role there was being a, the liaison between um, National Dairy Council, because we did do a lot of education, not just talking about dairy nutrition, we uh, did talk about all the food groups, but you, the focus were, um, where we were at the time was child nutrition, and then where our, um, our objectives and mission um, intertwined, and with uh, health professional organizations, so I was in charge of the um, collaboration between the American Academy of Pediatrics, so AAP, American Academy, uh, American Academy of Family Physicians, um, National Medical Association, which is actually the African-American entity of American Medical, um, and I also NHMA, so it's National Hispanic Medical Association, and then SNEB, so Society of Nutrition, Education, and Behavior. So I was like the go-between between National Dairy Council and then those um, health professional organizations. That was one part of my role. Um, we also helped with um, actually schools at the time working with our Fuel to Play 60 program. And then we started talking about uh, food insecurity, quite honestly, and how um, we can address that. And we actually worked with the um, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Um, so I had a lot of different roles of that position. Got to travel a lot, which was fun. So uh, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Um, our our, actually, our um, bosses were dairy farmers, which is close to my heart since I have dairy farming in my family. So I essentially told my uncle Scott, who's a dairy farmer, I'm like, well, you're my boss right now. So that was uh, literally a lot of fun to be able to work on behalf of the, the dairy farmers of America. Definitely. And then what about uh, Nourish to Flourish? What was that? That um, I had a private practice. I was nutrition consulting for a couple of years. So I was... Um, you know, as we transition between uh, different entities within our career, trying to find us in other unique spaces to be able to work. And I wanted to try like my hand in having a new, you know, just a private practice. I didn't want it to be my full-time job. So just kind of having it on the side and being able to counsel um, people that had food sensitivities. Um, so my, actually my credential of CLT um, 
is a certified leap therapist. So working with uh, people that had food sensitivities and there was a certain test that I was able to offer them to see what foods are they sensitive to. Um, so, and then also there's food allergies, working with um, special needs. Cause I, when I was working with Bluebird Day, I was landing, I worked with special needs children. So people that have autism, dys, uh, dysphagia and such. Um, so, so I take that knowledge that I had and being able to help, you know, the parents and actually really young kids that had those challenges, literally going into their home, but this is of course before COVID. Um, so I'd be you know, driving around to, um, you know, to everyone's home and be able to offer my services to them. So yeah, it was it was a it was a fun good it was a good couple years. Um, at the time when I started it, I had I wasn't working as many hours at Bluebird Day and Ayas Landing, so I had more time to dedicate to it. But when I got uh, working more with Dominican and then um, with Bon Appetit, my hours ramped up, my travel ramped up with my job, so I just transitioned to um, phase that out. Yeah. So from my understanding, things like Bon Appetit, Nourish to Flourish, and your job at Ayas Landing involved um, school-age children. So does that have anything to do with, you know, your passion for teaching or? Yeah, nutrition. I was, I've always have an education in the back of my mm -hmm. head. I always want to educate and, you know, focusing on, you know, nutrition, um, health and wellness, um, you know, with the uh, Nourish to Flourish. There's also weight management that I did. Um, I went through the Academy's childhood and adult weight management programs several years ago. So again, it's just, it's another way to educate and try to make it um, understandable to the community and to the public. I'm taking these really high level concepts and how can we simplify it and make it, you know, break it down into, you know, nutrition nuggets, shall we say, and understandable information. Is there any particular reason why you were interested in elementary school children opposed to middle or high school? I'm interested in all children. So yeah, I mean, there's, it's, um, I think it's how the, the cards fall. Uh, I mean, Ayas Landing, it was just, that was a, actually a brand new experience where we, um, and they were just the, um, the very young kids. I mean, Head Start was young. Um, when I worked with Illinois Net, that was K-12. Um, of course, Bon Appetit was university level. So um, actually I've worked even with the elderly when I was at the convalescent center on my first job. So I've worked with the very, very young to the very young at heart. So it's, you know, educating uh, anybody. It doesn't, I don't, I don't have a specific age group that I, I loved or hate, so. Yeah. And then, so I knew that you were the past president for Illinois for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. So what do you think that that position has helped you with? Knowing how to pivot really quickly. Um, no, actually it was leadership and being able to guide um, our members, especially during the challenging time of COVID. I'm really just being there for support for them, really showing them how, okay, as a profession, we're still here for you. Because um, a lot of our members were, um, whether it be they were furloughed, they were let go, um, just being that sounding board and, okay, we're here, you know, to help you like, get back on your feet. Um, and also still here to help educate you. Um, Carl, I'm right there with you as far as providing things that know at a minimal cost. So how could we do that for our members for, because uh, we had a transition and we had our assembly that was planned for in-person. So knowing that we still had, um, we want to provide some education to the members um, at low cost, we were able to break that down into small little um, mini sessions um, and offer it to them. I think for, they're maybe like $15 each. So it was pretty affordable knowing that people's budgets were really small. 
Um, so still being able to be um, a, a good service and steward to our membership. That uh, was a, a big learning curve, you know, for that year. I'm sure. Yeah. So for people like myself who don't really understand the steps to becoming the president of, you know, a certain area for the academy, what does that look like? Uh, well, going back to one of your first questions, volunteering. Um, just, you know, saying yes to, um, you know, opportunities um, within the profession, um, just, you know, learning, being a sponge um, and networking with um, some of the, your, the dietitians within your area. Because um, as I, I think when I mentioned, the, one of my first roles in West, West Suburban was just being the historian, pulling together PowerPoints for a year showcasing of different meetings, and then it went up from there and just, you um, rolling the dice and like putting your name out there on the ballot. It's kind of scary when you're going up against somebody and like, well, I hope, you know, I, somebody votes for me. <laughs> and um, I've had been pretty lucky um, being able to be elected in various positions at the local level. And then you're like, okay, where can I help um, at the state level? Um, I, my first state position was um, working with the bulletin. Now it's just the bulletin editor uh, for a few years. So your, your name's out there. Um, and people get to know you um, and just being reliable with whatever position you choose, doesn't matter how small it is, you want to do it well, and then uh, people can rely on you, and then they start asking you to do more. Um, sometimes you do have to say no, as if, <laughs> if your plate gets too full, um, but initially just starting, like, just being open to new opportunities. So what are the different roles between the president and the immediate past president? Um, well, I mean, the immediate past president was more of a support. You're there to you know, offer, like, you know, background and history, so supporting not only the president at the um, with whatever he or she may need, um, with various you know, various entities, um, it's, and also you know being there to service the uh, the president-elect, the incoming. Um, this year, or actually this last year, um, the president, Julie Patterson, she kind of restructured everything with Illinois Academy. So she gave a lot of those elected positions, um, different roles, or they, we oversaw different committees. So the immediate past presidents, um, my responsibility was helping with the strategic planning, as well as of the bylaws and policy procedure updates. So, you know, overseeing that committee um, with those updates, some um, some of the other you know elected positions oversaw other committees. So, but for the immediate past president, I mean, it was a lot of it was just support. I'm like, where where else can I be a sounding board? Um, if you need some, if you know, taking some a load off the the president because there's a lot of responsibility in that position, um, and just trying to make it manageable for him or her. Most definitely. So, what are some things that you know made you want to say yes? I do want to become the president. I want to run for that position. It's not because I know it's not an easy load. No, it's. I, it took some time to, and you know, it wasn't like right away. Um, because I had, was asked a few years before that I actually when I actually ran. And I think just being ready and just ready and confident and like knowing that you can do it. Um, so it took, I mean, I was the bulletin editor and then I was CPI. So I was a CPI chair, uh, chair elect and then chair, and then um, continue to be um, just helping with the different you know, committees at the time. So really just continue to be involved in building up that confidence in that leadership role at a larger level. Um, I was the president with the West Suburban Group, but that was several years ago. And that was a lot smaller membership, but um, again, just kind of so just keeping your your, your toe, my toe dipped into that uh, leadership role in uh, whatever capacity and 
just uh, I say rip off the bandaid and just let's go for it and see what happens. Mm -hmm. uh, leaning on your support system too. We had a great executive director who's been with our organization for 20 plus years. Um, so knowing that Terry's going to be there, I'm like, Terry, you cannot quit because we need your support. Um, and also you have other committee members too. just know you're not there to do it alone. It is not my organization is the members organization. So we um, have keeping that top of mind as well. So do you work with, you know, other states at all, or is it just your state that you are working with? When I was president-elect, the academy had um, an affiliate training, president affiliate training. Um, so I got to meet uh, a lot of the other presidents, our incoming presidents for the other state affiliates. So we had uh, it was kind of a communication board, you know, online communication board. And so we would reach out and if we had questions, essentially like, what are we getting ourselves into? What are you guys doing and learning from each other? Um, that helped a lot. Um, and also just staying connected through, I'm um, still actually I'm still connected with a lot of them on social media. And so knowing that you had some sounding boards in other states, um, case in point, uh, with lady up in Wisconsin, also Michigan, um, and knowing that they've transitioned to, instead of um, local, um, our local affiliates are they're standalone right now, but some of a lot of the states have gone to regions where there isn't, you don't have to have a fully elected board on each of these small little entities. Because um, right now what we're challenged with uh, on the local level is the limited amount of leadership, limited amount of people that want to get involved or can get involved. So how can we still get people, you know, keep them involved, provide them with the education they need and make it manageable. So that's where the regions come into play. So we're learning from Wisconsin, we learned from Michigan, how do they do it well? Um, we learned how to not do it by one other state, I'm not gonna name, um, but so we just, it, it's nice to have those sounding boards um, and that's one way that actually social media can, can help as well as like the communication board within the state affiliates. So how much does the ideals between state to state, the presidents, how much does it differ? Like, are there a lot of people where it's like, you guys are on the same page, you guys have the same vision for, you know, what's going on, what you want to do during your term, or is it, you know, totally opposite sides of the spectrum? I think from what I, what I saw um, at the, the training that I was at, a lot of us were on similar paths. I think we all really wanted just to be there and serve the members of our state and do it the best way that we could. Um, there are maybe some others that I've, I mean, we were divided up into various groups you know, throughout the day and a half training. Um, not saying that we never would, you know, um, not, we wouldn't always agree on things, but a lot of the, the people that I was, you know, connected to, we, I think a lot of like, you know, at the base, y'all want to be able to serve the, the members in the best way you can. Trying to keep in mind that it's not, it's not my association, it's the members association. That's really what I try to keep in the first and in the forefront when I was um, you know, president. Mm -hmm. And then how many terms or like, what's the term? Is it one year? Is it two years? What does that look like? It's a total of three, um, three and do my fingers. Because you have your president elect um, year, then you have your transition to your presidency year and then um, past president. And then the transition, transition off past president on, you know, June 1st was my first day off the past presidency. So it's a total of three years in this state. Now, I think it was Tennessee, they chose, they completely redid how their presidency worked. I think theirs was actually four years. 
Um, that's a bigger, yeah, I can see your eyes, Carl. Like, that's a bigger ask. Um, you know, I was kicking around, like, can we make that work? So there's actually two, it'd be two years as president. Um, we chose not to go that route because it's hard enough to get people to commit for three years, quite honestly. Uh, so again, trying to make it manageable to keep the leaders involved and actually get members, our leaders on the ballot. Are presidents able to rerun later on or are they only allowed to have their one term? I think you can rerun. There's actually was one lady when I was going through the training, she was, I want to say it was Virginia. Um, I think she was president several years before that, but you have to give some time in between. Um, right now, I just transitioned on to the delegate, Northern delegate in Illinois. And I know we have, we can do, and there's a three-year term. We can do two, three-year terms cons um, consecutively. Then we'd have to give a break in between. So um, probably something similar, but I don't, as far as our, our call and our policy procedures, um, there's, you can't, I think you can rerun again. Um, I think you have to give some time in between. And then I know you kind of said that it's kind of hard to have people commit to that three years. So do you have people that actively want to become president or sometimes is it a little bit harder to get people to put their name on the ballot? How does that look? And so in the year, um, the year I ran, there was a, it was actually a competitive ballot. It was two, it was me plus another person. Um, sometimes it is harder and just in general filling the ballot. Um, because people's time are is so limited. There's so much going on in their personal life, and it's you know trying to make it appealing and trying to make it doable. Because I mean, a lot of the time when when I get asked if you're you know trying to recruit and promote the um, the positions open is what is a time commitment? And it's really hard, depending on the position, depending on the time of year. You may have more phone calls, you may have more emails to address, um, but it's it is a challenge, and that's really why we want to try to make it doable and feasible for the leaders. Um, trying to make as we did a, um, a revamp of our bylaws and policy procedures, looking at the position descriptions. Um, how can we simplify it as much as we can and still keep you know um, the core of that position true? But it's not it's, it's not easy, um, yeah. and that's yeah. So I guess transitioning from the academy and going into your current job as a okay. district registered dietitian and compliance specialist, what do you do on like a day to day basis? Pre COVID. <laughs> okay. Um, I guess we could do pre. Okay. Well, I'm thinking, uh, just to kind of be transparent here, I was on the job three weeks and COVID hit and shut down. That was fun. Um, so from pre-COVID, I mean, regardless, I mean, I'm still, um, I work hand in hand with our, our food service director, um, and now we have an assistant food service director creating the menus. Um, we always, it's good, always good to have a goal for the menu. COVID has really put a challenge with that. I'm trying to get our food and such in. Um, but day to day, uh, it's all, I'm also managing a lot of the schools, elementary schools. Um, we also have two other, two other elementary managers. So making sure that the elementary schools have the support they need um, to be successful with uh, the meal distribution. Um, so, I mean, that's a lot of what I, I'm, I deal with is managing those elementary schools. I also, we have 39,000 students in our district, a lot of which have some food allergies. Um, so managing accommodations when the parents want it, 
um, a lot of what I'm dealing with right now. So you may have a lot of students with food allergies, but the parents may either choose to send food in or um, they may want accommodations because they just can't afford to um, buy food for their child. So we try the best we can to be able to provide accommodations for that. So looking for food that, um, whether it be through Gordon Food Services or our vendor, or I've actually gone to Walmart several times through or Meyer throughout the year to get um, some of the specialty items for our kids. Um, so trying to manage that inventory and just, you know, coming up with a system that works um, in the COVID world um, to be able to help meet the needs of those students. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's fun. Um, also, right now, I have some uh, dietetic interns in. So I'm trying to offer an in-person experience for the, the students. It's exciting because a lot of them have been turned away from those in-person experiences um, at their rotations. So... So how many registered dietitians work with you? Or are you the only one for the district? I'm the only one. <laughs> We're 55 schools. That's okay. Um, and that's where it's great to be able to have, if, um, Elena is my, my boss, the food service director. She is amazing. So she's worked in school nutrition 25 plus years. We have the assistant food service director that's also worked in schools um, you know, about the same amount of time. So leaning on them, leaning on um, you know, are people that you know order in the food and help to uh, working with our, our commissary team who put together the meals for the elementary schools because uh, we do have a literally this assembly line think of uh i'm going to date myself but the i love lucy show remember like the assembly line with her back putting together the chocolate we try to have not have it you know go off the, the end and be eating it as they go but it's literally that assembly line um you know working with those that with that team like how can they create some you know eye appealing, you know, food um, with, you know, the kind of the constraints that we have there um, at, at the commissary, because we don't, we're not able to cook. That's the challenge right now. We can't cook the food there. We'd love to get some equipment where we could, so we could try to offer minimally processed, um, better quality items. Um, so trying to hopefully get back to, um, after COVID um, transitions out, we want to get back to the garden bars that we used to have, because um, it was, an exciting way to be able to introduce the kids to fruits and vegetables and give a lot more variety and things in a more eye appealing way um, um, at the elementary level at least. So how, are your students in person or were they in person or are they virtual still? Um, well, right now we're in summer. Uh, we are in actual in-person summer school. We have a variety is the challenge that COVID put forth is that a lot of the kids are behind. So we have a huge um, task of trying to accommodate for the, the multiple programs going on for summer school, they are in person. Um, they were, they were virtual a good half of the year um, into the, you know, the fall, we tried the transition back in and then our numbers spiked again. So the superintendent, you know, dropped it back down to all virtual. Um, after the new year, we were hybrid. So we were half and half. So there were some kids that were still 100% remote. Um, and others that came in school half, half of the time. So there, actually there's two days a week they were um, in person. And then after spring break, then we went to four and a half days in person for elementary and then five days a week for, for secondary. So it's been an interesting year. We've had a, a lot of changes in um, schedules um, and how we do things, how we serve. Um, but we still were all, we were serving curbside since March 17th. Um, 2020. So we had to make that quick transition, um, figuring out what the heck we're going to do and how we're going to serve the meals to kids um, at the curbside. 
So what did that? Year and a half. So what did that? Oh, I'm sorry. What did that transition look like from having to, you know, feed kids in person at the lunch line to now I have to pack up their food and give it to them when their parents drive off? Organized chaos. <laughs> As I mean, we had. I remember that powwow meeting. It was. We we're like, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Um, and just really thinking quickly on our feet that we know we, we can't be serving hot food, obviously. How can we serve things grab and go, you know, at the door um, using what we still had in inventory. So we still had our commissary team, you know, staffed um, making things, you know, you know, whether it be sandwiches, things that they could heat and eat at home. Um, so we had to come up with cooking instructions, heating, actually more reheating instructions for the parents at home. Um, coming up with, okay, what are the allergies um, in those foods that we're sending home to? Um, learning, um, you know, as we go along how to pack the bags, because some things that you have your, um, your item that is, you know, it could slice through the bag, I'll tell you that. We had these plastic bags, these thank you bags you get at the grocery store that are very delicate. So some of the, you know, items that we're packing really quick, and all of a sudden we notice at the end that there's a hole in it. So learning as we go, like how to do things better, more efficiently. Um, I mean, because we were, you know, flying, you know, building the plane as we're flying it, shall we say. It was a challenging process. Yeah. So like you said, you're one registered dietitian looking over 39,000 students and 55 schools. So do you think it would make your job easier at all having another registered dietitian work with you? Or do you think it is manageable for one person to look after that many it would be nice to have another person, if anything, just bouncing ideas off of and helping another set of eyes, quite honestly. I am one person, two sets of eyes, uh, one set of eyes, I should say. To, um, so it would be nice to be able to have an extra person. Um, but uh, the school, but, you know, school budget is only budget so far. So yeah. I'm just thankful that they budget for me, quite honestly. Definitely. So do you communicate with dietitians with other districts to see how they're doing with the pandemic and how did that look like with transitioning to I guess helping feed students um, when we transitioned definitely we um there's the, the school nutrition association I'm not sure if you're familiar with that that's a national organization similar to our academy um, and then there's similar to the state affiliates, there's Illinois School Nutrition Association. So they have had town halls throughout this um, entire time. And a lot of it's like sounding boards, like learning from each other. I was on a, a panel, I think it was back in winter, you know, it was a winter time. Essentially, what are other schools doing? How are, how are you surviving throughout all this? And just, you know, sharing what we're doing. And then every, you know, there, there was a couple other schools um, sharing the same thing. Um, that was just on their one of their winter conferences. But throughout you know, the town halls, there have been opportunities where we can you know, share our frustrations, share our concerns, share our, our successes too. Um, because I mean, over what I saw throughout all of this, um, we had our secondary world and we had our elementary world before COVID. Thanks to COVID, we uh, had a lot of melding of the forces, shall we say, because um, we had to spread the love. We had our secondaries, we knew they were shut down, you know, that first half of the year. Um, they were not providing any in-school meals. Um, so what do we do with the staff? We want to keep our staff employed. So they were working in the elementary world. So given that, there's a lot of friendships that were made. Um, so that is a huge success, which we shared with other other districts, as well as um, you know a few of the things that we were successful with, um, and also some challenges. You know, um, 
Yeah. So, yeah, it was really helpful to have like that sounding board, and I could even easily just pick up the call um, phone, you know, and call some of the local districts, and because I want to know like for food allergies, especially like how are they managing? Some schools absolutely did not provide any accommodations, and others were trying to provide some, you know, within a reasonable you know, within a reasonable amount. Yeah. And then I know you said you had interns, which is exciting for someone like me who's interested in school nutrition. So what do you want your interns to take away when they lead your rotation? Um, a lot of it depends on what they, I, I try to leave it open to them. Like, what do they want to learn? A lot of them are just, you know, we're, and some of them are, are meal accommodations. Some are when you're working with food allergies. Um, some are just, you know, how does, you know, school nutrition work in general? Um, so the, the intern that just left, she was at the very end of her practice um, and she was interested in gardening. She was, and so she actually came up with some gardening lessons and gardening activity, um, tying in nutrition, um, school nutrition education, and then how can we use that, you know, garden within um, the school meal service. We hope to get back to that. We have had that in the past. Um, others are more interested in um, just more like the back end, like the financial aspects. So it depends on what the, the student is. I try to tailor to their their likes and their wants, um, and I'm still meeting the needs of their program. So I'm not. And I'm not too rigid with it, with it. So what is your favorite part of your job? My favorite part of my job is being able to serve the families and actually serve the, the children and seeing their eyes light up when we're um, able to provide them with some, some good meals, especially now with, uh, with COVID. Um, I get to do meal box distribution tomorrow. So it's, it's fun to be able to provide like that basic need of food to the families and just interacting with them. Yeah. So do you think that having, you know, that face-to-face -face experience with students will give a spike in the dietetic career because students now are knowing what a dietitian or a nutritionist is? I, th I think for sure it will help. Um, I actually was able to talk with the eighth graders as part of it. They call it Ignite program. I was um, used, it was usually like a face-to-face -face thing, but it was like this big Zoom panel where they learned about different health education, um, health professions. So being a dietitian, being one of them. So a lot of them had some great questions about what does a dietitian do? Um, you know, providing that background about, you know, uh, dietitians aren't just in hospitals or aren't just in, um, actually just in food service and like in the, say, in a restaurant. So having my face out there and being, you know, working with the district, I think it helped because it's even like when I was working in the hospital, like, oh, you're the food police. Like, no, I'm not. I do a little more than that. Um, so there's a lot of, I think, misconceptions about what dietitians do. So having that face, you know, put, you know, face to your profession really helps. And also have with a smile. So and have fun with what you do. Definitely. And I guess circling back, I know that the headquarters for the academy is in Chicago. So do you think that that, you know, helps at all having that support, you know, right in your backyard in case if you had a question for stuff like that being the president or do you think it has like no bearing? Quite honestly, since we live in the virtual world, um, I've been to the academies. Uh, office is pretty cool it's actually right downtown but knowing that i could even even just pick up the phone or um you know connect with them virtually i mean i, I think they're they're available to anybody doesn't matter what state you're in um it is it's just kind of fun to be up you know a train right away or about 40 miles outside the city where you can can go downtown um, but they are actually a lot of the um the people that work for the academy um work remotely so, I mean, you have that main office area downtown, but they, a lot of them are national and they just work remote. 
So they're uh, a nationwide organization and I think they're available whenever you need them. Cool. And then I forgot to ask this earlier, but is being a president a full-time job or are you like, or can you, you know, do other things at that time? Um, it's an extra job. Uh, yes. I mean, I, I obviously worked full-time when I was doing it. Um, but you just have to make that commitment knowing that you have multiple calls that you got to be on. You want to be that support for your, um, your committee members and your membership. Um, so I think going into that going into the position, knowing that, I mean, I want to say it's a full-time job, but it is a time commitment um, that you want to make sure that you give your, your, your all to quite honestly, to do it well. Definitely. And then what kind of advice do you have uh, for students who aren't a part of the academy and they're kind of on the fence about joining? They are not a part of the academy. Nope. Um, just throw your hat into the ring, quite honestly. And uh, there are a lot of benefits to being an academy member, especially a student member. The um, the the dues are less. For, I mean, it's just a way to learn about how the the academy can help you as the, in the profession. There's a lot of resources that they do provide. Um, whether it be like the evidence-based library, there's, you know, of course, the journal and everything, but there's also just the DPGs is another great support they do offer. Same with the MIGs, so the member interest groups. So they are trying to diversify and expand their reach. Um, but as a student, you can, you know, join a lot of like those different entities, you know, at a minimal cost to essentially see what's going to work for you. Um, and it's just, it's a great uh, way to just get involved and learn more about the profession and, and actually grow. Um, in addition to the DPGs, the evidence-based library, there's also the, um, the credentials, I'm sorry, the, uh, the, yeah, the credentialing program, certificate programs. So once you get uh, your baseline, you get your foundation, um, you get your, your, if you pass that RD exam, you can find your specialty. If you, you know, sports nutrition is your specialty, they have a certificate for that, if you know, renal or clinical. So there's a lot of different ways that you can grow and the academy I think provides the, the resource to help you do that. Awesome. And then I guess to finish up, what kind of advice do you have for students that are going to be applying for their internship in the fall? I'm, in, I'm sorry, in February. February. Be open to new opportunities, quite honestly. I mean, I was not, Benedictine was not on my radar at all. Um, so I had like the first four um, and that, you know, that I applied to. If they don't fall your way, you could have your day that you cry. <laughs> <laughs> and then you you have to pick yourself up again and try for, try again. Um, just I mean you, you've worked so hard to get through that program to get through your your four years and knowing if that's the direction you really want to go is that you know the RD program. Just you know keep that first and foremost and just make it happen. Um, I've seen a lot of people go through the and work go through that internship program and they just never take the RD exam or they let it go by the wayside. And that's a lot of a lot of time and energy that just they let it kind of fizzle away. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sitting down and talking to us. We really appreciate it. No problem. Reach out with anything. You have any questions beyond tonight? Um, you can provide my my information. I'm pretty accessible. So feel free to provide that to your, your members. I, okay, I thanks for having me. I appreciate that. And there's so much good stuff to unpack. And I think I have a lot of, of interests that align, but the the students have a lot of great stuff. And I really appreciate that you touched on the affiliates because I think a lot of students have questions and don't really understand the academy beyond the national organization. And I really commend you and I hope students take a look at 
the work for engaging students at that level because so many questions and so many answers can come from getting involved at that at that low level um, for sure and similarly like you were talking about during covid the number one question that we get during a lot of our our courses and programs from students during covid has been hey my in-person opportunities are limited what can i do and i've always put the ownership on the students because there's so much innovation at that level of finding that opportunity. But like you're saying, I think there is some for the dietitians to take ownership of, of teaching the next generation of let me create these opportunities as well. Yeah. I'm always, I, I always, I do believe that, I mean, being a servant leader and being able to be there to help, you know, the next level, because I'm only going to be doing this for so many years, there's going to be somebody coming up behind me. So we want to make sure that we're providing those, that experience and education to those that are, are coming up the ranks. Um, I'm very thankful to my district that we I'm able to offer those in person experiences because I've had a lot of, you know, the students come to me, it's like scrambling, they're trying to find um, an opportunity to fill the gap that was now, you know, yeah, they have weeks they got to fill, they have to meet this program you know, deadline, I'm like, okay, well, let's try to make this happen. So um, I've had actually University of Alabama, Birmingham, a lady from that uh, rotation, it's a distance program. She reached out to me. I'm like, where do you live? <laughs> you have to be in person. And she's right down the road. So there's a lot of distance learning programs that are, you know, reaching out to the district and happy to be able to provide that opportunity for them when I can. That's, that's so beautiful and wonderful. And like you, you mentioned, we'll share your info and I appreciate you sitting down with us. For all those listening, tune back each week, we highlight another awesome dietitian uh, with some great exposure. So thank you again. Well, thank you, Emily and Carl. Enjoy the night. Thank you. Thank